invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament again, to Joshua and chapter 4. If it's helpful to you, this reading is on page 180, and we'll read not the whole chapter, but we will start reading from the first verse. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And then let's go to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Amen. A brief prayer. Father, help us as we turn to the Bible now that we might be on the voice of um, one mere man, hear your voice, and in hearing, trust you and obey, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, perhaps you'll keep your Bibles open there at uh, Joshua chapter 3 and 4. It's always good to check to make sure that what's being said is actually in the Bible, and it is very, very clear that uh, the stones here in chapter 4 um, are right front and center. 
I noticed that again, even reading it out loud, um, I wanted to pause and say, I think the stones are very important, don't you? And they are. And the reason will become apparent, I hope, as we go on. It is an immense privilege for me, I should say, to be invited to be a part of this with you today. Um, first, because of fellowship with your pastor, but then as I rehearse this with you, these scenes here, many of those people, your previous ministers, uh, are, were known to me, and um, others, uh, I knew them by name, at least. So that this church, I don't know that there's been a time in my Christian life uh, when I was unaware of this church, but never having been here, I uh, always wondered who the lass of Richmond Hill was. I've been looking for her since I got here on Thursday. Apparently, she's not around at the moment. Oh, well, maybe Margaret, given how long she's been here, that might be it. Um, but it is a wonderful thing. Days like this are very, very important because we have an opportunity to look back and learn from the past, to be reminded ourselves that we are living in the present, uh, living in the present, learning from the past, but looking to the future. And uh, poetry and hymnody has chronicled events like this all the time. I was thinking as I prepared about 1965 and uh, the Rubber Soul album with the Beatles uh, uh, and the song In My Life, there are places I'll remember uh, all my life, though some have changed, some forever, not for better, some have gone and some remain. And they're really just doing there what others in uh, a more um, biblical framework have remarked on as well. Now, chapters three and four actually need to be taken together. That means you're going to have to do homework. You're going to have to go back, and you're going to have to read chapter three, and then read chapter four, and put the pieces together. Uh, because as my art teacher used to say, I'll get you started, beg, but I'm not doing it for you. And so you, you must have an understanding of that. In chapter three, the emphasis you will discover is on the stopping up of the waters. The waters were miraculously stopped. That's chapter three. And then when we come into chapter four, we discover that the emphasis, as we have said, is on the setting up of these stones. I should warn you that when you read this, and perhaps you even picked it up as I was reading, uh, it, it almost, for those of us who have lived in the world of uh, being able to fast forward things and rewind things, there's a lot of fast forwarding and rewinding going on here in chapter three and four. And sometimes you look at it and say, but didn't you just tell me that? And then it, and then, then it flashes back and fills in some of the details. I mention that just so that when you study, uh, you will have it in mind, but we're not going to delay on it. The emphasis is on the most important event actually in the whole book of Joshua, and that is that God's people crossed over the Jordan on dry land. And God provides, as he does in other places and at other times, uh, a visual aid to help us to remember. But quite frankly, this is 2022. That was a long time ago, and it was very far away. And we might be forgiven for saying, well, goodness gracious, the 150th anniversary, why would you come here? Why not point us to the future? Or take us not only back 150 years, but so far back, we don't even know where it was or when it was. And you may be saying, is this actually even relevant? What does it mean? Why does it matter? Well, of course, that's my task to try and uh, explain that it really does mean something and it really does matter. My history teacher at Ilkley Grammar School was a fellow by the name of Norman Salmon. He was an interesting man in many ways, and uh, he taught us uh, uh, the history of, of Britain, mainly the history of England. 
And he used to say to us with regularity, he always sat up on a radiator, uh, he perched himself up there, and, uh, and he would say, now listen here, lads, when you get out of this class, if you forget everything I've ever taught you, do not forget this, that in 1911, Bradford City won the FA Cup. <laughs> now, at that point, I think I was 17. I'm now 70. He did a fantastic job. Because <laughs> the only thing I remember from his class <laughs> is that Bradford City won the FA Cup in 1911. But you really, the key to it, if you like, in coming to Old Testament narrative and to this passage is provided for us by Paul when he writes to the church in Rome. And in the course of that, in chapter 15, he reminds them, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we need be in no doubt about the abiding relevance of God's Word at whatever point in history uh, we find it being addressed. And in light of that, I have just three points uh, to help you remember. If you remember one of them, then you will be with me out of the history class. If you get two, you've moved into the honors course. And if you get three, then I think it's probably a PhD on this particular day. What does this mean and why does it matter? Well, first of all, it is clearly a day to remember, a day to remember. Uh, the crossing over of the Jordan River is, as I've said, the most important point in the book. Uh, this is in order. Uh, in chapter 3, it says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. How will you know that God is among you? He says, on account of what has taken place today, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing on before you. And as you walk behind this in the presence of Almighty God, then you will realize that God is among you. And uh, the passage that I read in part one ended in verse 10 with the very lovely little sentence, the people passed over in haste. The people passed over in haste. As I read that and thought about it, I said, oh, of course they did. And I think we would have done so too. Uh, when we were all lined up, and he said, now what we're going to do is we're just going to walk out into the Jordan. And we nudged our friend and said, are you doing it? And someone says, I don't know. He said, well, he says that if we follow along, it's, it's going to part. Really? Yeah. Well, why don't you go first? I'll right be, be right behind you. And whatever you do, go through it fast. Just go fast, just in case it doesn't work the whole way. The people passed over in haste. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's a great encouragement to me because I would have been one of those characters going, oh, I don't know. I think I better just run for my life. <laughs> and having passed over in haste, we're told that they came up and out of the Jordan and they made their camp. They camped. This is in verse 19. We'll spend most of our time at the end, which is really the punchline of the two chapters. <clears throat> the camp was in a memorable location. There you will see it. They had camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho, a memorable location on a memorable day. Uh, think uh, Jordan, Th think uh, Jericho, think Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. That's exactly right. That's where they are. 
They're just in the proximity there. And when you read on a wee bit, you're going to have that amazing story of what happens on that day. But it is also true that the day itself was supremely significant. You will notice the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Now, when you read that in the Bible, you're forced to say, well, that's a very interesting detail, isn't it? Why would he actually say what day it was and what month it was? Well, some bright spark in the group would have said to his friend, you know, this is a very important day for us as a people, is it not? And the fellow would have said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, wasn't it on this day 40 years ago that preparations were being made for the Passover when our people came out of Egypt? And the fellow would have said, well, I don't know, we should check. And then they checked, and in the book of Exodus, they discovered right there in Exodus chapter 12, that is exactly when it was, and on this particular day. Reminding them that as they anticipate what is now about to happen, had happened in some ways prior to this, on this very same period of time, that Moses had read the, led the people through the Red Sea, bringing them out of Egypt, and now Joshua, the new leader, was going to bring them into Canaan, and once again in this dramatic and exceptional fashion. Now, when we read our Bibles, it's important that we read them backwards, in the sense that we read the old in light of all that the new has provided for us. And so, when we read this incident, we begin to put the pieces together. Here is Moses, and he leads the people out and uh, through the Red Sea. Now comes Joshua. And then we say to ourselves, doesn't this point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who has done exactly that, that he is the Moses, as it were, who has led us out of, that he is the Joshua Joshua has led us into? And, of course, the hymn writer gets that, doesn't he? When I tread, it's interesting, you're going to spend an evening thinking about dying. What a remarkable night. But anyway, uh, when I tread, it's a good idea. I love the idea. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises. So you, here you have this picture. The unfolding story of the Bible is always pointing to Jesus. The Bible is a book about Jesus. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you lose your way around the entire Bible. And so always we're saying, how is this pointing me forward? Well, it's seen in the camp, and it's also seen in the cairn, in the cairn. And most of you can't say cairn uh, the way you should. You say cairn. And uh, that's all right, but a cairn is just a monument of stones. If you've been up in the north of Scotland or perhaps in the Welsh hillsides, you know that's exactly the case. And Joshua, we're told, in verse 20, uh, these 12 stones were set up at Gilgal. But and here's an interesting thing for your homework. When you go back to verse 9, he set up another cairn of stones. He set them up in the, the, the base of the river. And, of course, the base of the river, then it rolled over again. And so, on any particular day, when anybody was out for a picnic and said, you know, what is that that I could see just kind of sticking out here? Or when the water was to subside, when it was down a little more, then the children would have said, who would have put that there? How could he have put that there? 
How could you build that cairn in the middle of a river? And someone said, well, that was the day when God stopped the river. Children would have said, that's a, that's a miracle. Said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's, you see, the privilege of being a grandfather now, isn't it? That their children, their tiny minds, you were able to say to them, you say, you know, look at the moon. Who put that up there? And they say, they say, I don't know. We say, well, God put it up there. Uh-huh. We tell them, before there was time, before there was anything, there was God. Look at what God has done. Moses put these stones here, building them as a memorial, first there and then here. Twelve stones from twelve tribes, a picture of the unity of the people of God so that they might understand this together because God was saving a people from him, for himself. Now, that's the day. Somebody would have said, well, it's been quite a day. Let's get some sleep. And just in case you were planning on getting some, some sleep, let's go to point two. It was a, a day to be remembered, and it provided a question to be answered. And the question is right there. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, when they ask their fathers in times to come, because children are immensely curious, and you're going to tell them. And you're not going to tell them what, uh, what might be tempted to be said in the day in which we're living, where you ask a question like, what does this mean? And the reply comes, it means whatever you want it to mean, or it means whatever it means to you. And some people are actually trying to do that with the Bible now. They say, well, what does it mean? They say, well, whatever you would like it to mean. Many a home Bible study goes south very, very quickly with some lady called Mrs. Jenkins who likes to operate on that basis. She likes immediately to say, let me tell you what this means to me. We don't really care, Mrs. Jenkins, what it means to you. We want to know, first of all, what it means. Once we know what it means, then we'll be prepared to take other comments. So they're going to ask, what does this mean? And the answer is straightforward. Why is it so important? It's so important because we're forgetful people. And if we forget, then the generation that comes behind us will live with the impact of our forgetfulness. One generation turns its back on God. The next generation learns to live without him. And the subsequent generation has got no knowledge of him at all. And if you take the circumstances in my own neck of the woods, namely Scotland, and you read the newspapers at all, you can see how this has been a progression, a downward progression. One generation turns its back on the Bible. They're no longer asking even what it says, never mind asking what it means. Definitely no interest in why it matters. And they begin to drift and go. The children are no longer in Sunday school. They're now grown up. They're adults, and they've got no concerns at all. And you meet their children in the grocery store, and you realize what a predicament we're in. Now, the curiosity of children is a great benefit insofar as when we have a story to tell them. And it's 
of interest, and I hope you noticed it, that the first time that this is made mention of, which is up in verse 6, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You say, well, wait a minute, you just, you just criticized Mrs. Jenkins uh, for asking the very same question. Well, let me backtrack and point out that it is an important question. What does this mean to you, Dad? What does this mean to, to you? Well, there's some dads here, perhaps that is the question, even this morning. What does this 150th anniversary mean to you? Where do you fit in the framework of things? Do you understand how God has shown himself strong through the years? Has he become your God? Are you able to speak to your children and to your grandchildren in these terms? What does it actually mean to you? Memory is a tremendous thing, and the loss of memory, as our contemporary culture reveals, is a peculiar challenge, isn't it? Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness in a marriage may actually be the crumbling framework for its dissolution. Not necessarily a big major blowout, just forgetfulness. Just forgetting to say, I'm sorry. Just forgetting to say, forgive me. Just forgetting to say, I love you. In our relationship with Jesus, the same thing may be the case. Not some major event, but we've just begun to forget. Forget to say, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus, for the way in which I've been living or thinking. Please forgive me. I do love you. You see, moments like this, markers in time, are wonderfully important. Otherwise, why celebrate in this way? the significance of it all. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. That's it. So all this wonderful visual aid, these things in the Shema they had already learned from Moses, these things are to be upon your heart, Shema, the Hebrew Shema, here, that's Hebrew for here, here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God. These things are to be upon your hearts. You shall teach them to your children when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. If my father had not been led to Christ as a 13-year-old boy, he would have been completely unable to lead me to Jesus when I came home from the Sunday school, from one generation to another, passing on the wonderful truth, looking back, seeing all of those faces, saying God was in this and God was in that and God is with us today. Help me not to forget. Help me when the questions come. What does this actually mean to be able to answer? And the answer is given right there. The answer is that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. And the, for what the Lord, he says, did to the Red Sea, he has now done in the Jordan. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. You got any rivers you think are uncrossable? You got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do just what no others can do. Where is their hope in, in, our, in our broken world? Where is their hope in the face of death? There's only hope in the Lord Jesus. 
And it is memorialized in anticipation, and it is more memorialized in retrospect. These stones, he says, are going to be a sign to the people of Israel. They're going to be a memorial forever. Now, think about it. It wasn't an everyday occurrence. If it was an everyday occurrence, there would be no reason to make a fuss about it. You know, if, if, if they set up these things every, every second Wednesday, they'd be say, oh, we know about that. Yeah, he does, he does that on Wednesdays regularly. But no, they hadn't done that before. It was memorable. You haven't had a 150th anniversary before, have you? I, 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 I don't see how you possibly could have. And you want to have another 150th anniversary again. You saw the tin church. The octagonal church, why it was octagonal, you don't know, neither do I. Seemed like a great idea. 36 years paying off a mortgage is a bad idea. So there's a lot of history right there. Then we got it done in eight years. Then we can pat ourselves on the back for that. Good, so here we are. But it's this morning. It's whatever day in October. It's 2022. What does all this mean? Why does it even matter? We mustn't forget. That's the point. God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's loving kindness in the past. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it, when we gather around the Lord's table? I can remember again, I, this is not a feature of my father or my mother for that matter, but I would sit there, and, and I don't know what age I was. I couldn't have long trousers until I was 12, so I must have been at least 12. I mean, if you can imagine what a dreadful childhood I had, I mean... <laughs> In the freezing winters of, of Scotland, if I went sledging, I had to wear shorts because, because I was not a man yet. And I was longed to be a man for only one reason, to get long trousers. <laughs> when I passed my 11 plus, I still didn't have long trousers. When I became 12, I got trousers. So it was memorable. You say, well, thank you for sharing that with us. It didn't really mean much to us at all. <laughs> How did I get there? Well, I get there by the same thing that I would sit at communion and say, why, why are you doing that? I'd, I'd pull my father and say, what are you doing this for? What is this? Why do you do this? That's what's happening here. In the generation to come, when the people tug your coat and say to you, what does this mean? You're going to tell them, this was a miracle. And this is, a mem this is a memorial. A word to those of us who were born earlier. I mentioned this yesterday when we had a lovely time with some local ministers. And um, Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18 are increasingly at my camping point. It, it reads as follows. Oh God, from my youth, you have taught me. There's boys up there on the back row. I can see them. I've been watching them. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm so glad they're there, and others too, because I used to be like there, and I survived. <laughs> when I was there, I never thought I'd be here, so you'd be very, very careful up there. <laughs> oh God, from my youth you have taught me, true. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds, true. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all who are to come. That's your part. That's your part.
Yesterday's dead and gone. Tomorrow's out of sight. Today's the day. A day to remember, a question to ask, answer, and finally, a purpose to fulfill. And I'll just say a couple of things about this. You will notice, for the Lord your God has done this. He passed over before you. He dried it up. Verse 24, so that, so that. So you read the text. You say, what? And then you say, so what? And then you say, now what? Okay, what? This is what happened. So what? So that, and let's take it in reverse order, so that you, the people of God, may fear the Lord forever. There's nothing of slavish dread in that statement. To fear God is to love God. To fear God is to trust God, is to obey God. It's to take God seriously, to acknowledge that he is God and that he deserves all that we offer to him. The psalmist gets it perfectly, doesn't he? Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, which of us could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that you may be feared. In other words, that the people of God have a sense of God, that the people who do not know God don't have any sense of God. That's why on the tube all the time you say that people taking the Lord's name in vain all kinds of ways. Oh, God, Jesus, everything. It was just all the way into Waterloo and all the way out. And I say, but, but this is not the way we speak of God. He made you. You couldn't even be on this train were it not for his creative power. He loves you. He sent Jesus for you. I didn't get up and preach, you should understand. But I was all emotions going through my mind. Worship the Lord, church, in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him. His glories proclaim with gold of obedience and incense of lowliness. Come, let's adore him. The Lord is his name. He says, that's why he did this, so that the people of God would worship him. And finally, so that as a result of the people of God taking God seriously, notice, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. In other words, this, this takes us right out of the door, doesn't it, up the high street. Because we get in here, this is a happy time, like, a, like you when you have a birthday for your granny or whatever it is, and, and, and all their good old granny, and this is wonderful. It's got nothing to do with anybody else, really, at all. Maybe your grandpa, if he's still around, but nothing beyond that. But when you have an event like this, it's actually not really ultimately about us coming in here and saying, what a wonderful past we have, and what a wonderful pastor we have, and so on. No, it's about all the people on the high street. The most cosmopolitan city in the entire universe, probably. London. So that all the peoples, all the peoples of the earth might know that the Lord our God is mighty. Two comments. One, quite fascinating to me that none of the individual names are mentioned in here. It doesn't, it doesn't say anybody's name. I mean, we know we've got, we've got a Joshua, and a couple of others show up later on. But by and large, none of the people that were involved in doing this. I watched the Zoom thing with, uh, when you did it, when, the, when we were COVIDized, and the lecture um, by your 
genius man from the history, historic society. And also, I think it was you, John, that pointed out that George Eliot lived and wrote in this, in this uh, area here. And I can't remember which, I think it was, uh, I can't remember which book you mentioned, but it triggered a thought for me. Because in Middle March, there's a wonderful quote from Eliot, and I can't quote it exactly, but she's talking about characters in the novel, the unfolding story. And she says, you know, life would not have been as good for you were it not for X. And then, then she says, George, George Eliot was a lady, incidentally, I haven't lost my mind. George, George Eliot then says, and so it is, that the greater good of the world unfolds on account of those who have lived faithfully and now lie in unmarked graves and, un, and in unvisited tombs. Uh, none of us will even be a footnote in history. No. But what we're doing this weekend and what we are able to rehearse of all the weekends that have led to this weekend are actually about the purpose of God for the entire world. Talking to one of those no names, and with this I will definitely finish here. I used to visit always in Scotland when I was the assistant to Derek Prime. He used to send me on visits. I never was as fit in all my life as running up and down those tenement buildings in Edinburgh, three stories up and three stories back. Got all my steps in before I knew there was anything you had about steps. And, um, and I used to visit uh, ladies, Mrs. Nicholson, who had worked for the post office. She would actually spy on me out of her window. She had a bay window. And I, I often, I didn't have a pass. Your pastor has a special pass. He could park anywhere, apparently. I don't think that's fair, but it's the way it is. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I had no such pass. And sometimes uh, under pressure, I would just park it wherever I fancied. And I go three stories up. She'd open the door. She said, Pastor, you parked in the wrong place. Go back downstairs and repark it. I was afraid of the lady, so I went back down the stairs. I, it took ages for me to come back. But anyway, uh, people like that. And then one lady who had had a stroke, and uh, there many had had strokes, but the one in particular. And she would ask me to sing with her because when her, her speech had now become limited, uh, she could remember songs but not much else. And her favorite song uh, was, uh, had these lines. We are building day by day as the moments pass away, a temple that this world cannot see, and every victory won by grace will be sure to find a place in that building for eternity. What does this building mean? It means that we're pointing to that building that's why we're thankful for those who have served us in the past. That's why we're grateful for the privilege of being alive in the present. And that's why we want to renew our commitment to see unbelieving people becoming the committed followers of Jesus Christ. A brief prayer.
Lord, grant that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, may be found acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.